Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hey, Susan. How are you doing this evening? I am doing really well. I just got a message from my granddaughter, Monica Jean, and she says, we're in Texas. 
Oh, wow. And she sent, yeah. she sent me a photograph, and I wrote back and I said, Big Sky Country. Because, of course, you look out and there's a horizon and then this just enormous sky because there's nothing to interrupt it. We're so used to dips and dales and vales and valleys and cuts and, you know, looking around and people around here, you know, really like, look before they decide where to build their house. You know, is that mountain ridge going to block the sun? Probably around Mm. you, too. Uh, some somewhat, yep. Not as much as yeah. you. You have a lot up and down. Yeah. But yeah, Texas is flat as far as flat. you can see. Flat, flat, um, flat, right. Hey, Sarah Owen, thank you for sending me parrot tulip bulbs. Oh, just what you needed, more to put in the they ground. They got here today. So the ground is a little hard out there, and I'm afraid that it was too cold for them. So I have several plants in the house for the winter, and one of them is just kind of, you know, chugging along. There's a couple of perennial roots in it, and so I just dug around in there and planted all those tulips in it. Oh, how fun. Oh, that yeah, would be so It's a big great. pot. I was able to get them all a good five inches down. Oh. But, yeah, the, uh, two of the bulbs were uh, moldy, so I didn't plant those. Mm. Wow, that's a bummer. They Just letting you know, since you got them from a, a place, you know, I don't know I how, you know. How often you work with them, if it's worth mentioning to them or not, but. I will. It was my first time. I had a hard time. Yeah, of the, of the 400 yeah. bulbs that I planted, I think there were maybe three moldy ones in all of those. Mm. Wow. You know, it wow. does happen. There's always going to be a small amount, but I, I'm usually looking for a small amount. Anyhow, parrot tulips, what fun. For those of you who don't know, parrot tulips are tulips. Imagine a regular tulip, which already is a big oof from the wild tulip. So imagine a regular tulip. And then imagine that instead of just being one color, that it's kind of streaks of color like feathers. Now imagine that the streaks of color like feathers is actually fringed. The petal is fringed like a feather. And now you know why they're called parrot tulips. They are so gorgeous. I can hardly wait. Thank you, Sarah Ellen. Oh, bless you, be. You're welcome. I hope they're beautiful as you describe. I'm sure they will blossom lovely in your home. Yes, yes. Well, the, these were the specific ones that you wanted, yes? Yes, yes, they were. And I, you just made them sound so beautiful. So I, I hope they've come out that beautiful now that it's my first time ordering from them. And there were a couple moldy. So I hope they are as beautiful as you described. <laughs> <laughs> Have you not grown them? I have only seen them, but I've never ordered any bulbs. Um, ah, I, I see. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was so, yeah. one of your one of the favorites from your garden. 
No, I just listened to you talk about tulips, and when I was reading the descriptions, those sounded the most lovely to me. But the ones that I've planted in my garden were just what was at the store, you know, in a bag. And so, I don't know, those the one, they sounded the most lovely to me. So, <laughs> Yes, there are so many varieties of tulips. The peony flower tulips are really pretty, too. The things that are the things that are easiest for us to change in plants are the color of the flower and the number of petals on the flower. Hmm. It's almost impossible for us to change the shape of the leaf or to change really change the shape of the flower. We can make it bigger. We can double it. We can change the color of it. But the shapes tend to remain... Think about a wild rose, right? It has how many petals? Five. Mm. And an apple blossom, five. Right? Mm. So that's what we started with. And from that, we get... Right? Think of the roses like... Like, like the Florabunda roses, that each each one has hundreds of petals. I'm told that if you actually take it apart and count, it's a multiple of five. I've never done it. Wow. Wow, that's just so fascinating that the flowers, that the petals are so much more changeable than the leaves. That I didn't ever think about that. That is so fascinating just on so many levels. Wow. I love right, that. you think Thank about you. all those different roses. If they're just the rose canes, they just look exactly alike, don't they? Yes. Wow. The oh, leaves are all okay. You know, ever so slightly different. You know, some a little darker than others, some a little longer than others. But you know, nothing that we can easily change. But but all the blossoms we can change easily, mm. except for. The except for the actual sexual parts of it. Wow. I'm not a gardener or a cultivator, so I know in wildflowers I'm always looking at the flower for identification, but I typically just am working with what's around me and working to find what nature is already presenting. I just have not, I'm not a cultivator, really, so this is so fascinating. I've never thought about that, but that is fascinating. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what I planted were the wild tulips, which are small, (laughs) but they look, nobody would say, what kind of flower is that? They're obviously tulips. They're like fairy tulips. They're like miniature tulips. But that's another thing that we can pretty easily do when we cultivate plants is make them bigger. Wow. Wow. So interesting. Of course, I think about it with our food plants, like wheat and corn and things, but I just didn't think about it when it came to flowers in such a way, so simply. Thank you. Yeah. We have a guest tonight that most of the people listening already know, and that I'm sure at least a few, perhaps many, have been missing, and that's Rebecca Rosell. She's going to be with us tonight and talk to us 
catch up on her life that we used to hear week by week what was going on and share what's coming up, what's new, what's happening for her. I'm really looking forward to talking to Rebecca tonight. And that's at 9 o'clock, so stay with us until then or come on back. Nice. Well, I've been baking today. I made some um, all different kinds of bread. I started with my sourdough <clears throat> starter, and um, I woke my starter up with some uh, uh, water that I had saved from cooking pasta, and I warmed that up just to blood mm. temperature and stirred that into my sourdough starter with some sugar and some flour. And I made it about like a thick batter. Mm. And then I took some of that batter and put it in a jar for the next sourdough. That's that's the starter again. And then the rest of it I divided into three bowls and made more sponges by adding more liquid and more flour and more sugar. One of them, which was destined to become rye bread, instead of sugar, I added molasses. Mm. So one of them became a big hunk of rye bread, a big, beautiful, round loaf of rye bread. And one of them became um, what I've been calling the healthy loaves. I mean, they're all healthy. They're all organic and, and whole grain flours. It's whole, whole organic, um, whole grain uh, rye flour, and organic whole grain pumpernickel, as well as the organic whole wheat flour that I'm using. And into the, the healthy bread, I put burdock powder and cordyceps powder. Mm. And of course, burdock is well. It's one of the herbs in my green book. It's such a friendly plant. The root is used as foodstuff, can almost always be bought in Chinatown fresh, sometimes in your health food store, especially during these months of the year. And, of course, can always be bought as a dried root and used as an infusion or harvested because most people live where burdock grows. So um, Mountain Rose, um, I give a big thank you to Mountain Rose Herbs. They really support herbalism in America. It's a smart move. I'm not saying it's completely altruistic. Supporting herbalists in America brings them more customers because more people know about herbs and more people want to buy herbs. Hoorah. One of the ways that Mountain Rose supports herbalism in America is by offering those who are um, working as herbalists products 
they, these powders are part of those products. So I'm looking for ways to use them because it's not the kind of thing that I would ordinarily have, but I, they're a lot of fun to play with. Wow, sounds like you came up with some good ideas. Bread sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got the, let's see, there's toast and onion breadsticks. Oh, I made Chisandra salt rolls. Mmm. Health bread, a pumpernickel, pumpernickel loaf, and um, what I call a friendship loaf. It's in a, a big cast iron pan, and it's three. Uh, round balls that rise together. So it's like a loaf comprised of three loaves. Oh, I like that name, a friendship loaf. Nice. Yeah. And do you use the pasta water for all of your bread? And, and why do you do that? Do I use the a sourdough starter for all my bread? What, did you say you used water that you saved from boiling pasta? Yeah. Okay. Yes, because it's very it's very rich in gluten. Ah, of course. Okay. Wow, I've never done that. And I'm a big fan of gluten. Gluten, if you're a bread maker, you want gluten. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Wow. Potato water is also great. Okay. Yep, the yeast likes both of those things. Okay, wow, how fun. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> uh, yes, I reflect on myself and I say, you must be really feeling wonderful, Susan. You're baking again. Mm, it's uh, always the time... The times of my life when I have been um, making bread have been times of my life um, where I have have really um, felt the best. You know, I started teaching. My first class was on bread baking. Yeah. Was on herbal mm-hmm. medicine. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. The best bread you ever ate. You make it yourself with love. Was the name of the class. Oh. Wow. And you bake bread on solstice today. That's so extra special, I think. Wow. That's what I thought, too, to bake bread on solstice. It's like this bread has a lot of magic in it, the magic of all all of the different forms of light. And that's what I have been wishing for people today is that light in its many forms come twinkling, blazing, right, come like a thunderbolt, come like the glint of dew. How many different ways can light come to you? Oh. Wow. Wow. Beautiful. My blessing for all of us as the light returns. Here it is, the longest... Night's shortest day, and now we swing around the wheel of the year and watch it. It's going to get colder, yes, but it's going to get brighter and brighter, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do we have anybody with any questions tonight? We sure do. We have three callers that have already pressed one to queue up with their questions. And I'll remind everyone else listening, if you would like to come on and speak live with Susan this evening, please press one on your telephone keypad to get yourself lined up in the queue. Our first caller is dialing in from the 504 area code. From the 504, you are live with Susan. Good evening, Susan. Happy winter solstice to you. Happy winter solstice to you, too. Hang on just one second, Michael. Okay, go ahead. Um, I, I couldn't wait another week, but I had to call back. This is Kevin in New Orleans. And I went on a weed walk, and I was surprised to find cleavers and nettle has already started to pop up. And I, I feel like last year it may have come more in the spring. So we've been having crazy weather recently, and I'm wondering, is it a good time to transplant healthy baby plants to my garden, or should I wait and watch until they grow a little bit larger? I guess my questions are really around transplanting weeds versus growing them from seeds, and if you could, if, if you have time, reviewing the best practices for annuals, biennials, or perennials, and... Can I use plantain leaf as a salad green? That was another question I had, but thank you so much. Yes, yes, you can. So you're noticing that, wow, plants don't go by our rule books. Perennial plants, like stinging nettle and plantain, can send out new growth, and the dandelion is probably growing too, anytime they feel like it. Mm. And it's okay. And they, it, yes, they are, they are, that's why one of the reasons they're weeds is because they are so advantageous. They're going to take advantage of any any little extra that they can get. I have a very strong feeling that we get more in every way when we allow ourselves to be gifted rather than living by the sweat of our brow. I hear you. There's already nettle growing. You don't need to transplant it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. There, something happens, something breaks open in us when we allow ourselves to accept the gifts that nature is offering. Mm. White people are brought up to believe that we only get something if we earn it. And we have to pay for it. Mm. While it is true that in many native communities, 
an offering is made to the plant. It is something that I never allow white people to do. Mm-hmm. Because for a white person, it's paying. Mm-hmm. And the real gift to those of us who have been told you have to pay for everything is to be humble enough to just accept like a child would. And then you suddenly get it why she's called Earth Mother. Mm. I love it. Unlearning that transactional piece and getting back to the nourishment. I'm with you. What you want to plant in your garden are the things that aren't already growing. Plant comfrey. Plant schisandra. Plant hawthorn. If it doesn't grow around you, and it probably doesn't in New Orleans. Right? Think about the plants that you want to have access to that don't already grow there. Put those in your garden. And what's the difference between growing something from a plant and growing something from a seed? It depends. You ask about annuals, biennials, and perennials. You're going to grow an annual by putting a seed in the ground, and that seed will grow, and it will have a flower and make seeds, and it will do that in a year or less. If somebody else plants the seeds and you plant the annual plants, then you have instant flowers. They may already even be flowering when you plant them out because annuals flower a lot and make a lot of seeds because that's how they get to the future. In fact, to keep an annual producing flowers, you have to take the dead flowers off and keep it from making seeds. Because once an annual has made seeds, it says, ah, you know, my purpose in living has been fulfilled. I'm dying. That's why we we prune the basil back, right? It's an annual. You don't yeah. want it to have sex and babies because then it's just going to die. No, 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 no. So whether you're growing annuals from seeds or from somebody else starting the seeds, which that's why it's called the start, um, you're going to get what you're going to get that year. Calendula is a often grown annual, and most people save their own seeds from the calendula, so they have them for the next year. Biennials live for more than a year, but less than two years. They generally form a deep taproot in the first year of growth, making them quite unsuitable for transplanting. So usually you don't transplant carrots, you grow them from seeds, and then you thin them out. Right. Same thing with burdock. If you're growing gobo, you're going to plant the seeds. You're not going to plant a root. So so the biennials, because of the deep taproot, are almost always grown from seeds. 
a perennial lives for how long? More than two years, possibly yeah, right? three, somewhere. Yeah. Right. Okay. I know. It's okay. like, what? Right. If we want a perennial, people are people often to say, well, they live forever. I'm like, yeah, wouldn't we like that? Wouldn't but, we like uh, that? <laughs> right. There are some plants that might live forever perennials, like comfrey root. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And, so, and some aspen groves apparently are one root that's been living for a very long time. Uh, but, yes, in general, um, the perennial can be short-lived or long-lived. Sometimes short-lived perennials make enough seeds that they kind of act like they're long-lived perennials. Mm-hmm. So I, sh- I wanted Echinacea uh, last year, and of course Echinacea is sold in all garden stores, already blooming, so I bought a pot, and there were three good strong roots, and so I had three Echinacea plants for nine ninety nine. I could have planted seeds, and the seeds would have only cost me probably 4 or $5, but I would have had to wait a couple of years to get some Echinacea flowers, and I wanted them thin. Mm-hmm. I did collect Echinacea seeds this year, quite a few of them from around and about many um, hospitals and churches and places where Echinacea is now grown, which makes me smile and scattered those into my garden at the end of the year so that they would be out in the wintertime stratifying because the echinacea seed needs that. And I will often do that. Simply take some seeds from some plants that grow in my area but not right next to me and toss them into an area that looks the same to me as where they were. Plants want their seeds to be spread around, so I've never had a plant object to my taking some of its seeds home with me and tossing them out. I wouldn't say that I'm highly successful, but that's okay because to circle back to where we started, there's something about something which is free. We can see both in the bones and in the DNA when animals were domesticated because certain changes happen. And I know that I one year went out and harvested burdock root from beside the road, burdock root from beside my compost pile, and then burdock root that I bought at the health food store and made a tincture in vinegar with each of those three different burdock roots. And it was so obvious that the preparations from the burdock root growing beside the road had so much more chi. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. And that's one of the things that we're really looking for in the plants, right? In using plants, there's this direct transmission. So look 
toward that, feel into that. And as you do that, the way to have more of that will be clearer to you. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you. You <laughs> make me smile. Good day. Bye. Good night. All right, and we have three callers that have pressed one to signal that they have a question. Our next caller is calling in from the three one zero area code. From the three one zero, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. Happy winter solstice. Happy winter solstice. What's up with you tonight? Uh, well, thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to talk with you this evening. So the reason that I'm calling is um, my, my partner and I have been in the process of um, of trying to conceive um, uh, we're we're a queer couple, and we have uh, a, a known uh, donor who is um, providing sperm for us. Um, and we so we've been um, trying uh, each month um, ever since well about for about seven months now. Um, <clears throat> and um, there's a couple different. Um, there's a couple different things that I've been noticing happening. Um, so one is um, I have been um, having some health things. We've talked about it before. Um, I had, um, I, I believe it might be related to my pancreas. So my, my pain, um, so I'm having certain, certain things going on that um, I'm not feeling at my full energy level this year, um, but I but I have been feeling better. Um, I've been supporting myself, you know, through um, through nourishing herbal infusions and so forth. Um, but I but I also I don't feel like I'm at the po- point that I was sort of before um, my illness came on um, at the beginning of this year. So there's there's that, um, and I also <clears throat> I'm also just feeling a bit more. Um, just more, well, I'm having some doubts, I should say, um, about whether this is something that I really want. And when we first started this process, it was actually several years ago that we started talking about it. Um, I thought I really wanted to have a child. My, my, my partner feels a little, has always felt less strongly about it. She um, could go either way. Um, she's a lot older than I am as well, and so she... Um, it was sort of like she she would support that idea and be on board if if that was something that I wanted to do and i I've, I've always thought that that's what I wanted um, but i'm 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 now not sure and i'm I'm starting to notice that there's there's some there's some doubts there and I'm not saying that it's a bad thing um, I, I wonder if it relates to my health or relates to my my age I don't think i'm there's not really any real clear cut signs that I'm going in, um, that I'm entering menopause, at least not yet. Um, So I uh, also just to say I'm, I'm 41. Um, So I I realize that, that, you know, that I'm, that I'm sort of am in the older years of of conceiving. I have not had a child before. I have not, I've not, I've not been pregnant before. Um, 
but I guess I'm calling, I guess to try to um, help, help to figure this out in terms of like, I, I, you know, should I keep, I, I don't know if this is what I, what I really want and, and how do, and how might I go about um, maybe becoming a little bit clearer in that since it seems like this desire has sort of lessened um, over the number of months and, and I'm not quite sure why. I really hear you. There are a lot of factors at play within any one woman when it comes to fertility and childbearing. Our family issues, our personal issues, what our culture and our society um, says about all of that, so many things. And in fact, I rather suspect that if everyone had the luxury to kind of sit back and say, now let's see, do I really want to have a child? There would be very many fewer children born. Mm -hmm. Because it is an enormous responsibility which goes on for the rest of your life. And it will change you in a way that nothing else can change you. Early 40s is not too late to have a baby. And in fact, older parents in some ways can be better parents because they're able to defer rewards a little better than younger people. What I do when I'm really conflicted about something is I live it. So I take one day, and on that day, I live as though I have made a decision to stop trying to get pregnant and to go into um the rest of my life with that decision. And I live that day mm. that way. And then I take another day, and it doesn't have to be in any particular order, and I live the opposite decision. I have decided I am going to be a mother. I am going to do whatever it takes to get pregnant and to be a mother. And I live that for 24 hours. And then I have a lot more information than my cerebral cortex, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's what makes it really hard to choose because you know that you're not really listening to all of the parts of yourself. But how do you engage those parts of yourself? If you live it, that gives a chance for those other parts to come up. A 
organized way of doing this is called voice dialogue. And it's kind of therapy. My friend Miriam Dyack is a, a therapist and a trainer for voice dialogue. And in voice dialogue, with the help of a guide, you give voice to not just the voice that says, oh, yes, I'm going to get pregnant, and the voice that says, oh, no, I'm not going to do that, but all of the voices, the voice that might be your mother's voice about this. All of the voices within you, with the goal at the end being not to say which voice is really me, but to say all of these voices are really me. Mm -hmm. We are humans. We are very complex. was once instructed to um, toss a coin to make a decision. And she said to the grandmother who said that she should toss a coin, she said, well, but what, what if I get the wrong answer? And the grandmother just smiled at her and said, well, I thought you were wanting to know what your answer was. <laughs> answer because if it's the wrong answer then you know what the answer is it's the other one mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know we took a month off <clears throat> last month there was a lot going on and um, it felt like such a huge relief yeah and I allowed myself to just not even think about it. And I haven't been thinking about it, and that's felt greatly relieving. Yeah. And, and, again, you know, there are these parts of me I'm really appreciating, you know, this idea of just there's not one part of me and the other part of me, but there's this multitude of parts. and multitude um, of parts, especially about something as complex yeah. as becoming a parent. Mm-hmm. Many, many parts of you, and you can listen to them all. Mm-hmm. You can't do them all simultaneously. There are going to be some that you're going to say, I'm going to do this and not that. But mm-hmm. that's just the first of many decisions you're going to have to make, especially if you do have a child, because it's going to be just one big decision after the next, right? <laughs> yeah. So get ready for it. It's okay. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine yeah. once 
once said, you know, after you die, they sit you down and show you all the things you did wrong. And I said, goodness gracious, absolutely <laughs> not. After you die, they sit you down and show you where all the things that you thought were wrong were absolutely right. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Have you heard of the herb Vitex? I have. If you decide that you do want to be pregnant, Vitex can be a great aid. And red clover infusion a little more than what you might be doing, like two quarts a week instead of just once every fifth day, um, could also be helpful. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's that child... you're eating a broad diet and that it includes animal fats. Yes. Good. Yes, absolutely. I've been um I've been following um you for a couple of years now and um you know, I try to cook my well-cooked greens um and uh you know, try to eat leafy greens, you know, at, at almost every meal if possible. You know, lots of whole whole foods, whole grains, um uh you know, organic um fats from from milk and um meat and that kind of thing. Um you know, I um, I think in a previous um, uh, show that you did, I had heard you talk about Vitex, and it, I got it a bit confused because I think you were you had maybe mentioned Saul Palmetto as well, but for some reason in my mind I had mixed them up, and so I had um, so I had bought Saul Palmetto berries, thinking that they and Vitex were the same, and I I made a tincture. And um, I think it wasn't until I started taking that tincture that I I looked it up again and I realized, you know, that they're not the same. Um, I'm wondering if I, I realize, you know, they're two different plants um, and they all, you know, I, I, I know that they, I'm sure that they do different things, but I'm wondering if, um, you know, if I were to just, you know, if I do move forward with, you know, the decision to get pregnant, um, if that could be, helpful in a similar way or perhaps not um, the uh, sal palmetto tincture that I made? What I can say is that I don't personally know of any woman who's wanted to get pregnant who has taken sal palmetto as an aid. That doesn't mean okay. it won't work. It just means I don't know anybody who's done that. Uh-huh. Okay. I haven't and really I, felt much and of I know, when of I course, have taken it. So. Lots and lots of women who have tried some of them for more than 10 years unsuccessfully to get pregnant who have found that 
the three things that we've just talked about, Vitex, red clover infusion, and a diet that includes animal fats have helped them to become pregnant. Mm-hmm. So would it work if you just, if you use salt, palmetto berries instead? You'll be the one to tell us. I can't tell you because mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't so far. <laughs> um, and I haven't noticed much of a difference physiology, you know, just in my body. Um, but um, I, but um, I wanted to share with you um, that you know, as we're talking, I'm I'm thinking about um, I'm thinking about you know w- what some of those voices are, and I think one of one of the stronger voices of of doubt um, is is largely around uh, energy, an energy level, um. And I think, you know, that is also tied in with, you know, the, the, um, the physical health, you know, uh, challenges that I've been dealing with this year, just how, you know, feeling like I have less energy. Um, and I, and I actually, I've taken care of children my whole life. And so I know a lot, I've been, I'm a, I'm a nanny. And, um, so I, I, I've taken care of all different ages, including infants. And so I, I know that what, what, what it takes and, um, having a, a partner that's about 18 years older, um, who, you know, uh, talks about just, you know, not having quite as much energy, uh, you know, as, as she used to too. I think that that is a big part of my, uh, of, of, the, of the voice of doubt. Um, because I think I, I wouldn't, if I, if I was feeling really high energy, uh, I don't know. I think it might, it might be different. I absolutely hear you, and you know and I know that having a child in your life gives you energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I baked today were Shisandra rolls, and I gave a couple of Shisandra rolls to um, someone couple that I like very much with a little card that said Shisandra berries help your energy. They mm. increase your ability to utilize chi. There's chi in the air and the food and the water and the earth and Shisandra helps you use that chi better. Shisandra increases your ability to keep your jing. Jing is called ancestral energy. It's the energy that we use only when we're pushed beyond our usual resources. And, as Shisandra has said, to activate Shen which is the soul energy or the energy of the spirit. So you might also experiment with Andra and see if that changes 
your sense of where your energy is at right now. Lovely. Thank you so much for sharing tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, my heart bows to you, Susan. I really appreciate you. Green blessing. I'll keep you posted. Good night. <laughs> All right. Good night. All righty. <laughs> Good night. Good night. All right. And there are two callers that have queued up with questions. Next call is coming in from the 831 area code. From the 831, you are live with Susan. Hello, Lady Susan. Lady Iona, yes, thank you. Greetings from the Redwood Forest on Solstice. Ah, what a lovely place to be. How are you this evening and what's up? I'm well. I'm well. A little nervous to talk to you. Um, I have so uh, three questions concerning myself and my family. Um, I, and so as many as you feel is okay to do, then fine with me. Um, the first one is concerning our newborn baby girl, who is named after both um, paternal and materner, maternal grandmothers. Um, so she's three months, and she's on mother's milk, though I sometimes like to give mama a break and take care of baby for as long as I can for her to have some time away. And I don't really like the idea of giving the baby formula for those extended periods of time. And the thing that's come to me is um, giving the baby milk, like from a cow, and, of course, the the research on the Internet does not support that. They're concerned about the baby getting exposed to too much protein and baby not getting enough um, minerals, at least so far as the research that I've been able to read about. Um, but this is like supplemental. I mean, she, the baby is getting like, I don't know, three ounces every week or so. What's your thoughts on that? I guess my first question is, Mama doesn't want to pump and put it in the freezer? <laughs> um, we live off-grid, so don't have access to any kind of fridge. We have, like, a, a cooler. But um, she's not the kind of person with her biology, the way things work, that pumping works very well with. I would understand if her physiology, but I don't understand biology. Biology, if she's producing milk, then she could pump. If we're talking biology, if there's a physiological problem, I certainly understand that. Yeah, I mean, what I'm saying is that the pumps yeah. that we've tried just don't seem to work. Um, yeah. So, I mean, she can manually express a little bit, but... Um, no, that's, yeah, I mean, that's really, really difficult. Just, you know, when, yeah, we, didn't, like when, we, didn't have, um, when we didn't have pumps, we had wet nurses. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's, how, that's how we got around that particular difficulty. Yeah. So, yeah. You, 
what I would say is, are you in a situation where you can find milk that isn't from a cow? Goat milk, yeah. sheep milk, horse mm-hmm. milk? Um, I think we can get goat milk. Really preferable for supplemental feeding. White feather, and you've heard her on the show. I've interviewed her. She lives nearby, and she is a person who makes the remedies for Catskill Mountain Herbals. Yeah, Um, I've I've had some. Yeah, she and her husband adopted a baby, and they fed it goat's milk because they didn't want to feed it formula, and they didn't have any human milk. Your baby's getting mostly human milk. And yes, the baby did develop a mineral deficiency of a particular mineral. I don't remember which one. But it was like five or six months into it, and they were watching. Mm. They were working with a pediatrician who knew what they were doing and why they were doing it. So it's not like the child overnight has a mineral deficiency. Right. So my sense is, A, if you need to give the kid some cow's milk at some point, it wouldn't be a problem unless it's a problem. And the problem would be that the kid would react to it, would get colic, would be upset, would cry, blah, 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 blah. You're going to circumvent those particular problems by using milk from a goat or a sheep or a horse. Okay. Got it. All right. Um, Have you time for a question or two more? Sarah Ellen, how many hands are raised? We have one caller with their hand raised. Yes, I have time for more questions. Okay, great. So um, this next one I may have an answer to. Um, It's my son, who's three, has had this cough that's been going on for, it feels like a month, that... um, during the day, it's nothing. We don't, I mean, a little bit here and there. It gets, but um, during the night, because we have a wood stove and we don't, it'll burn out in the night and he'll get cold and um, cough and wake us all up because we all live in the same room. And I'm wondering how I can treat that. So I just made today, we're drinking today, uh, mullen, and we haven't been for a while. So I'm thinking that'll probably help and maybe some. Um, what is that root that's for the lungs? Elecampane. I heard you mention it. I'm wondering if that would be something that would be helpful to try. I don't see how the lungs are involved here. Yes. Okay. It sounds like... Um, the cough is occurring for two reasons that you've given me. One, he's cold. And he's coughing um, because he's awake and he doesn't want to be awake and he's cold and he wants to wake you all up. 
Though it is, I mean, in contrast, sometimes when I do get the stove going and it is real warm, he will still, like, have this real phlegmy cough. So sometimes, too, when it's, it's warm, you know, I can, I can get our, we have a small house. And a, and a right, right, and you can get, get it quite real. warm. Right. Yeah. And when you say a phlegmy cough, most people, when they wake up in the morning, go, ha, <laughs> And spit. That's that's pretty normal to cough and to cough up some phlegm, and especially around a wood stove. Again, I'm not hearing a cough that's like all day long. Right. So that's part of why I'm not thinking that lungs are having anything to do with this. You're probably putting some water to boil off on the wood stove so that the air is humid. And I would think something more along the lines of slippery elm or marshmallow root. Hmm. Things are soothing to the throat and the respiratory passages. Oh, okay. Slippery elm and marshmallow root. I have those. Yeah. So you could make some slippery elm balls, and he might suck on a slippery elm ball when he's in bed before he falls asleep to moisten and lubricate his throat. And perhaps there are some slippery elm balls right there so that if he wakes up during the night coughing or wakes up in the morning and is unhappy with his cough, he can have a slippery elm ball then. That sounds great. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, and uh, right. my last one is about um, a wart on my face. Um, it hasn't proved really to be an issue so far. Um, that's why it's kind of, I'm just wondering if there's some way that I can treat that that isn't like hurtful, you know, like it's it's not bothering me so much, but it's there. And, well, I will, you know, I, give, I will give you the current medical advice. Take a piece of duct tape. Cut it so that it completely covers the wart with a kind of, you know, edge around it so that it's completely down in your skin. Leave it on the wart for a month, and when you take it off, the wart will be gone. Okay. Got it. Pretty easy, huh? Herbalists use saps, like fig sap or dandelion sap, but really duct tape is better, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Susan. I'm loading dogs up and going down to our solstice party now. All right. Enjoy. May thank you. you find Blessings. the light in its many forms in the coming year. Green blessings. Good night. Bye. All right. One caller that has pressed one to queue up with a question. And the caller is coming from the 352 area code from the 352. 
two, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Happy uh, solstice. Happy solstice to you, too. Uh, this is Carol from Nashville. Uh, it's good to hear from you. Nice to hear your thoughts. And um, got uh, one comment, two questions. The salt palmetto question is interesting. I harvested salt palmetto when I lived in Florida. I don't think I would take that stuff for medicine the way it's harvested, <laughs> unless you can find it yourself. It's an interesting case. Let me let me be sure I've heard what you said. You wouldn't take saw palmetto because of the way it's harvested? Kind of like I wouldn't eat oysters from a certain place because of the way they're harvesting them. You wouldn't take palmetto because of where it grows in Florida? It's a harvest that's on a race, and there's an eight-week window, and they pay big money for 50-pound bags of it, and very people run out into the swamps and just tear it up to get these berries and because it's cash crop. Uh, not that I wouldn't take it. It's just it's crazy, the herbal medicine harvest. So I wouldn't say I wouldn't take it. I just would, for me, I would just go on down to Florida because they're not a hard-to-find plant. But to do it in the quantities that the people have to do it, everybody's on meth and coke and going out there and scrounging like crazy to find these plants. Get as many bags of these as they can back to the harvesters. Get them weighed and get their money. And it's like a it's like a race to grab these palmetto berries. Wow! And you you said that there's a, just a short period of time when they're harvested. Right. It is very short period of time, and the, and the the buyers come in and they set up two stations for for three counties, and then like the oystermen or the clam people or people that are harvesting different wild products at the time, this is a harvest season for them. They make a lot of money harvesting those berries. I mean, they just tear up entire swamps getting them. It, it's really an intense. It's like a race. It's a race to get the harvest, get as many bags as you can. Uh, people camp out and they'll just coke out. and this race. I mean, it's crazy. I've been part so, of it uh, so I'm curious as to how the salt palmetto survives this. Is it that hardy? Salt palmetto is a, is as hardy as dandelion. I mean, it grows in you know old plantations. It just it just seems to root up because one one seed will take care of it. So, I mean, if you, you see the berries, you just kind of strip them off the plant, you know. You just see them, you just see them hanging off the plant. You just grab the base of it and just swipe it up and throw it into your bag. You know, it's like a cotton picking, you know. It's a, it's a harvest. Okay, so, well, and similar to cotton picking, salt can tear you up. Cotton has thorns, too. Both of, both of them are no picnic to pick. They're not. That's why I said there's drugs involved when these people go out to pick them. Because you got to get, because people really tear up one certain area. They'll tear up a whole five, ten acres 
we got to go deep into the into the swamps to get a good five acre spot and you're like has not been harvested and then you have you camp out for a day or two and you you know you have two or three people working that harvest everybody's you know getting their bags full and then one guy takes them out to the road throws them into the truck and takes them to the way station but i mean it is no consideration for the ecosystem or anything like that it is a complete harvest rape because it's not regulated it's not it's wild you know, it's like wild harvesting oysters, and which a lot of these people do is they're already harvesting oysters when the thing comes in, or the palmettos, um, the clams, the you know the alligator tails. This is a very swamp-oriented plant, so you know. Anyway, that was my comment. Unless you had a question. Thank you for sharing that with us. It is very since most of us aren't there and haven't experienced it um my experience uh was that the salt palmetto where i found it there was a lot of it in one place well there are and, a lot of salt palmettos in one place just like you would see a field of dandelions or a, you know a, a, but in in you yeah. know the southern region but it, but it wasn't world necessarily world. very easy to get to no, it's not. You have to have leg gear on. You got to have your boots. I mean, they slice your yeah. legs, you know. And yeah, yeah, that was my experience for sure. Was yeah, just, was, while I was there and while I could get to it, I wasn't so sure I wanted to take that much risk. That's what. And, um, and, okay. uh, you, as you say, yeah, you coming better coming. better be in some pretty good protective gear. There's no consciousness involved with the harvest whatsoever. It is a cash crop that's wild, that's out there, and if you can go out there and find it, because I lived in the swamp with all these, you know, a couple generations old people, they're great, you know, these, I mean, they would coke up, go deep into there. And it was it was just it was crazy. It was there was zero consciousness involved with it whatsoever. It was, it, I mean, kind of like you can feel the medicine running from you. Just a very interesting harvest. It's certainly different think, than what I was just talking about um, in terms of um, connecting to the spirit of the plant. A hundred percent. However. This plant still needs to be harvested. However, there is something about saw palmetto that is very pungent. It's and very fierce. pungent. Very and pungent fierce. and fierce, this plant. Very pungent and fierce because your hands have tons of resin on it. Like it's covered. And so I am, not, I am not surprised that these things are happening, and I'm not so sure that it's bad. It's not, because the plant recovers so quick. That plant, in two years, the one that, you know, it's it's every other year, it's a bi, you know, it's a biennial. So every other year, it's going to throw a huge, like, one plant can give you three pounds. And if there's ten plants and you're picking... 
you can get 50 pounds in, in 20 minutes if you got a good patch, if you hit a good patch when nobody's harvested it before. But people will, will think after patch. You can get 20 pounds in, in what amount of time? You could get you can get a fifty pound bag if you've got a good patch where you're like in where nobody's harvested it and it's a fresh patch in yeah. no time. Yeah, you can oh, you can right. clear a one acre lot and get every, your whole day's work. You get two hundred pounds off an acre's lot. If it's a good harvest right there. So sometimes you'll go through and there's this you know, every other plant is bearing fruit. But it's if you hit and a good who patch, knows, you know, maybe for Saul Palmetto, what's sacred is for people to take drugs. Uh, that's what I'm saying. So many people I, that go down into there are racing on a clock. Yeah, you know, it's that, a that's what they're clock. doing. And I, what I'm saying is perhaps this has something to do with the Saul Palmetto itself. That perhaps, perhaps we don't want to make so, such a limit on what's really respectful. Maybe... This is respectful to the salt palmetto. Oh, maybe you're right. Because I mean, That's what swamp, right? you have to you have to be willing to go in there and crash through snake infested. You, you have to be right. You know, like no wonder these kids are on drugs to get them because they're getting paid good money. Right. And the harvest is it's it's salt not, it's not like okay, for you like go in. Yeah, and if they're not going to kill the plant off, there's no way they can kill that plant off. It's it's a huge weed. This is a humongous weed with huge berries. But they turn once they but see you got to get them in the screen state when the, the way you want them is in the berry form, like right before they, you know, fruit out. So there's an eight week window when those the buyers are there and they're all from you know. They're not from here. They're, they're selling them to another market. But man, it, it's just an interesting thing to watch. Just you know, just and it's a wild crop. You can't grow this stuff. It's not like you can just grow a farm of palmetto. It's just such a precarious plant. Interesting. N- not good cultivated. Not well, good thanks. cultivated. So really, the wild palmettos no wonder how it's harvested. They really are the prime crop. But that's the only ones you're getting are the wild palmettos. That's the ones you, the only ones you get are the wild ones. Yeah. And and this and it's, is it's, it's like um this, you know, this the is the not the first thing. time that I've heard stories about the palmetto harvest, and actually I've heard it directly from people who've done it even even like worse things of um a group of people who harvested a large amount. And the buyers had left, and they just threw it all away. Oh, my gosh. That is for true, for true. But what's and I just think at them and went, the you did what? Go, the people that are willing to go in through the swamp to get them are so limited. That's why it's such a race. Because people scout these things out all year long and wait for that harvest time. So they know which batch they're going to hit. And in that that central Florida area where there's a ton of preserve, you know, thousands of acres of preserve, and these children have been raised here their whole lives. Their parents have been raised. They know where these patches are. These buyers come through once a year, set up things, palmetto berries sold, you know, bought here. 
so they ditch their oyster efforts or their alligator or their fishing or whatever they're doing. They hit the palmettos. I mean, it's kind of a tradition in a sense, but the, the amount of drug use and the rape and just the, I don't know, the aggression, doesn't matter. It's still a product. They're still getting the product to the market. I But I did and have enjoyed my own. I've tinkered my own palmettos and all right, yeah. To try to figure out what the medicine is, but it is a hardy, hardy plant. It is a hardy, fierce, pungent it medicine. A, it's a pirate, to be honest with you. It's a pirate plant, so. It's a pirate plant. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, have, I have really a, one good question I want to ask you. I'd like to get a good answer, but I do, I do want to tell you that I got both vaccines. In July, no, in August, gone a whole year taking care of people with the COVID, never got it. And, you know, after about a year and a half, I figured, well, if I haven't gotten it by now, it's going to come upon me. So I'm going to get the vaccine. I'm over 50. And um, at least if I get it, I won't get as sick. But the big push to get vaccinated, 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 that you're protected. And I went to the symphony and I got COVID with these two vaccines. You know, and I had a, and I'm, I'm still at the very tail end of it, but I just, it's just very. Um, no one has ever, no one has ever said that if you get vaccinated, you won't get COVID. Or you can't transmit it. I mean, you're still, you one can has, still care. No one has ever said either of those things. Oh, but what they do, Susan. What they're saying. If you get vaccinated, if you get vaccinated, you are less, much less likely to die. It's not impossible, but you're less likely to less die likely, by a lot. And your symptoms will be less severe. And that's true. Symptoms that. will be generally less severe. In other words, you won't have to be ventilated. True, right. And Which I, always and I sounds like they're poking holes in you, doesn't it? Oh, they ventilated her. It just, it just, it just, <laughs> I just feel like the, now let me but, ask you this. So. But, you know, and, and most importantly, you will be less likely to spread it. That's just not true because you, you are just as transmissible. That's the point I'm trying to say. It doesn't keep you, you're still a carrier. It's just when you get it, you're just not going to get as sick. So there's just kind of a little bit of a false sense you, you, are, you are going to know the idea is that you're not going to, uh, it's just not for the benefit of anybody else. sit. I think that it's a false sense of security in the in the sense that it's really just for the vaccinated that's protected because you're just not going to get it sick. It does not mean you can't transmit it. it. Does not mean you're not going to get it. It just means you personally are not going to get as sick. And I my one of my children gave me and you sleep. are less likely to get it, and because you're less likely to get it, you're less likely to transmit it. We're not talking so black I, and white. I agree, agree. Talking now, less is you, 
And that's if all we're talking. If you get the disease, if you get that COVID thing so bad, yes, you're, but you, you are, are less not, likely to get it, and thus because you're less you likely, as good as that, you're less likely to pass it on. If you're saying you're as likely to pass it on once you get it as anyone else, that's true. But statistics lie like that. True. If I told you there was a drug that could reduce your risk of a broken bone by 50%, most people would be interested to know about it. But you see, the 50% reduction is in your yearly risk, and your yearly risk is only 2%. So a 50% reduction is really only 1%. Now, if you get the disease, as in like pertussis, once you have it, right. you ha- you are as good as immunized. Is that the case with and, COVID? My co- and my, you what, know, and what, we're saying, what you're saying is that if you actually do get COVID, that you can certainly spread it, and that's absolutely true. No, no, I'm saying if you do get what COVID, they're saying are, is you more if you immune, are, are you just as immune to it? Because you're less likely that you would therefore be less likely overall to spread it, not in any one instance, but in general, less likely. Do you understand how those things are somewhat different? I hear that, but what I'm saying, asking is, or questioning, or my thought process, if you get, if you've gotten COVID good and hearty, you are down for the count. There's a good, good old case of the flu, you know, you're really out. Are you as good as immunized? And is it because they want these, because they can count the vaccines? Like, I have a card, therefore I'm vaccine. If I say, look, I got it, I'm really good, I've got the antibodies to it. Are you as good as vaccinated when you get a full-blown case of it? Not just a nice little mild case, but a full, like a full-blown chicken pox or full-blown whooping cough. Are you as good so as vaccinated no. That's what as far thinking. as we know, yes, that having mm-hmm. having had it and surviving it is being immunized. I agree. No, I'm 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 there with you. I just don't like all the clues. Okay, so my real question tonight is: pregnancy diarrhea. Women that get pregnant and then they experience tremendous loose bowels through the entire pregnancy. I am a bit perplexed. I don't see anything in Anne writing too much about it. Cynthia Cayley doesn't have much to say, but I'm just, I just don't have a lot of written information, so I'm going to throw that question out to you. The usual things that can help to prevent diarrhea are things like slippery elm, which is perfectly safe during pregnancy, and applesauce, which is also safe during pregnancy. Applesauce. I will tell you, however, my favorite, my favorite anti-diarrheal is green banana. I read, that's what Ann Fry said. That was the really only really good thing she said was green banana. And green and banana stops diet. I mean, it, if, you know, if there's no reason for the diarrhea, right, if it's like, the green banana will usually stop it so fast. Well, the slippery well, again, consistency. The all, green banana. All good, all good during pregnancy. No problem during pregnancy. Of course. 
what is it? Is it a hormonal reaction? Like, it, I've got two women that are, especially this one lady, just gets it, and then she, when she's not pregnant, no problem. And she gets pregnant again, she gets these loose bowels, and I'm, you know, let me see a picture of it. And, you know, it's not water. It's not the next stage up. It's like the third stage up of diarrhea. It's definitely a loose bowel. She feels it's diarrhea. It's a very loose bowel. Is it hormones? It's got to be hormones. It, it, well, it's, it's the liver and the gallbladder's ability to deal with the hormones, right? Okay. Which I think adds to their, um, you know, their level of morning sickness. It seems like their diarrhea is right, right with their morning sickness. But this one lady just suffers with it through the entire pregnancy, and man, I'm just like stumped. It is more true. stumped on her some, not consistently taking. Some women have what they call morning, noon, and night sickness. Not morning sickness, but morning, noon, and night sickness. And the ones that I've worked with who drink nourishing herbal infusions get through it, are healthy, and have healthy babies. And even if they lose, they weight, even if they lose weight in the pregnancy. Well, nobody ever complains about that, but... Um... I think that I think that you know making these slip round bar, I, I, they're, they're consistently drinking the infusions. Because if you don't, you know, I, I I can't help. I have to know you're drinking those because then I know you're getting what you need on top of your regular diet. This is cure. You know, it's like man, what can I? This, I think consistent use of the slip round, and that's just you're just gonna have to be consistent with it if you want to see results. And the green yeah. banana. Sarah Ellen, is there anybody else with their hand raised? Uh, we do have two people who have raised their hands, yes. Then I'm going to say goodbye and green blessings to you and see if I can answer one of those questions before I talk to Rebecca. Okay. All righty. Good night. All right. Good night. Green blessings. All right. And from the 252, you are live with Susan from the 252 area code. Hi, Susan. Um, I just had to chime in here. I wasn't going to say anything just like Kevin this evening, and we're not going to have a chance to talk about it, but I just really got a kick out of the fact that I harvested the saw palmetto today. <laughs> and I thought, wow. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so, so I just need a moment to help Carol through a better picture of it because I have a small design build landscape company. My guys were out on a site. They were harvest. They were cutting back perennials, and one of them called and said, hey, do you want us to cut the stalks out of saw palmettos? And I said, well, you know, what do those berries look like? What color are they? And they said, oh, they're purple. And I said, oh, really? And I said, are they going to drop all over the ground when you carry them off? And they said, um, you know, no, they're, they're pretty much on there, and we're not going to spread them. And I said, well, <laughs> they are perfect for me. Um, so, yeah, then I lugged them out of a trailer, and they're, you know, I'm a very small person. I'm four foot eleven, and I'm 98 pounds, and they're heavy and big, and they're you know four feet tall themselves. And I wrestled them. Right, I was going to say the salt palmetto's bigger than you. <laughs> so I had a. I, I hope Carol now doesn't think of those horrible people out there trashing the plants and can see my little self carrying those awfully awkward things into the herbarium, and and it's a better Aww. day for salt palmetto. <laughs> 
Thank you for that image. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Have a lovely solstice, and, and we'll see you soon. I think you're off for a couple of weeks, so have a nice holiday season. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Bye-bye. Okay, okay. let's get that last one in. All right, from the 541 area code, you are live with Susan from the 541. Hey, Susan. Um, I had a quick question about my one-year-old who had a cold and now just continues to have pretty bad coughing fit like once a night um, and then sometimes at nap. And there's just still a lot of gunk in there. And, I'm, you know, we've been working with Ella Campaign and Echinacea mostly lately, but I'm curious if you have any other suggestion. You know, the airways are very tiny. And especially in children, they're very, very tiny. Do you think you could put your very warm hands, get your hands warm by soaking them in hot water, rubbing them briskly together, and put your very, very warm hands on your child's back? If that doesn't work, and try that for a couple of nights as he's going to sleep, then we can do something a little more dramatic called gua sha. And what you do is you oil the back, and you get a smoothed edge seashell. It can be any kind of seashell, but it has to be a smooth edge. We don't want to cut the skin with it. And you're going to take the edge of the seashell and starting at the top near the center of the spine, you're going to rub that down on the skin pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And what will happen is it will break capillaries and you'll start to see Redness, and then you'll start to see what looks like bruising. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is if you go over the entire back at the same pressure, you'll actually be able to see where the congestion is because that's where the coloration will occur. Oh my gosh! Wow. And it will, and you are actually causing injury to the little blood vessels. As I said, it will get red, it will look like bruising, and it will look like that for days and days afterwards. Wow, okay. It shouldn't, however, cut or hurt. Yes, I understand. Okay. All right. It's going to look like you've, like you've beaten your kid black and blue. Yeah. But your kid shouldn't be going ow, ow, ow while it's happening. In fact, most people who are getting guasa because it's on their back are going, oh, that feels so good. And you're looking at it and going, if only you could see what's going on back here. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. You're welcome. It's a very easy technique to do. The next stage up from that, of course, is cupping. Okay. And then the next up from that is acupuncture. Okay. All right, and moxibustion in there as well, but a little more complicated to do. Right. Yeah. Okay, we will give those things a try. All righty. 
Thank you. Blessings. Good night. Good night. All right, and we're back. Rebecca Roselle is a wise woman herbalist with many years of experiential learning through organic farming, trail building, shamanic herbal apprenticeships, natural birthing, motherhood, and her ever-evolving journey with plants, mushrooms, and earth medicines. Growing up with a family history of abuse and addiction, Rebecca set out on a long and rewarding healing journey at a young age, a journey that has had some major twists, turns, and somersaults. Knowing deeply she needed a change, she joined a wilderness trail-building program in the Northwest. This move changed her life. She found out that being close to and within nature was her calling. And that led her to working on organic farms in Oregon and Northern California, where she learned about healthy soil, about the hard work of cultivating herbs and vegetables, and about plant cycles. More doorways were revealed, and through one, Rebecca found her way to a apprenticeship with me in 2004 at my homestead. Rebecca now has her own herb business that she manages through Etsy, where she utilizes her wisdom and passion for cultivating relationship to plants to connect us to the ancient parts of ourselves that are ready for healing and ready to be brought into wholeness. Welcome and welcome back, Rebecca. So wonderful to have you here tonight. Oh, thank you, Susan. It's really good to be on the radio with you and to hear your voice and to hear all the callers call in. I listen to the whole show, and um, so so blessed to be here. Happy solstice. Joyous solstice. What a blessing to have you here for solstice. So bring us up to date. Tell us what you've been up to. Yeah, it was about a year ago that I stopped working on the radio with you, and so um, I have been – Caring for my children, I stepped out on my own um, last year. As the callers don't know, I went through a, a breakup with my kids' dad, and that has been um, very uh, rich in the whole journey of, like, moving out on my own and managing a business and having my kids. Um, and I have been still cultivating the my love of plants through all of it and also working with other earth medicines, doing like some deep uh, healing work that has been needed to be done. Um, like working with a lot of trauma. And um, I think some of the last conversations I had with you were about um, some paranoia that I had Um and a lot of that has been coming up uh, in some of my deeper dives with some of these medicines that I've been working with. And it's been a, a journey of learning how to trust myself and, um, and letting myself be more in touch with that uh, deeper wisdom and not just like the trauma response of the imprints of many, probably many lifetimes and through all of the ancestral um, trauma that we're all experiencing. And I just know that right now is a really rich time for healing for all of us as we are going through so many planetary changes that I feel so 
blessed to be in touch with so many um, amazing healers and medicine people that um, I, I've been uh, really humbled this year in a lot of ways of seeing through my own kind of shadow work and through others, um, like, that we, we're just on this, like, really evolving journey right now um, with the earth. And, um, yeah, I feel, I feel really, really good about what's, what's happening with the, with all of these changes, although it doesn't mean that it hasn't been so challenging and that we're not going to be challenged more. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no escaping it, you know. I got a wonderful letter from uh, Charlotte. Um, in Arkansas, and she's had a, a center there for a very long time where uh, Native American elders have come to teach. And she says, you know, I've known about earth changes for forever, like since I was 20. And, you know, and I'm really all the specifics and the details, she says, but it's so different living it. Yeah. Yeah. What did she, like, living like what's happening right Living now. the earth changes. She's she yeah. so different than just talking about it and hearing about it and this will happen and that will happen. She says, and now it is happening. She says, it's much tougher than thinking about it. Yeah, I love that Jean Houston quote that she always says, uh, you know, other times thought they were it and they were wrong. You, you know, this is the time we are living in the time of like the deepest transformation and change and I mean, it's so <laughs> apparent in every um, in everything. So, yeah, yeah, we're really living it. Congratulations to you for finding yourself and finding your feet and your own foundations in this past year. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful gift you've given your sons. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing to see their changes through this. Like, uh, you know, like during this whole like pandemic, um, that we all were like isolated in our own kind of <laughs> in our own homes, and that they, uh, you know, like picked up some not so great habits of, you know, like there's so much like screen activity these days and um, cycling through that now and getting more involved in healthy activities and stimulating them in other ways and finding like uh, a richer way of um, expression for them is, it's challenging, but it's like we're putting in the work right now and it's been, um, I've seen so many parents struggling with that, and I, yeah, just the online culture is really, it's really interesting, and um, it seems as if it's not going to go away. It's just going to keep getting more and more prevalent in all of our lives, so as much as we can to, you know, like, really care for the children right now, because I feel like the children are... They can. It's a. Uh, can be a pretty dark, stark uh, reality. Yeah. 
I don't think you mean to be racist. No, and I don't mean it like that. I, I'm not like dark. I mean, I'm just. It is the, the basis the, of racism what you just said. Equating difficulty with darkness is racism. I just. I don't think. You, I, mean, I, I don't, I don't like think that that's what you actually mean. No, so that's let's not think what of I mean. another way to say what it is that yeah. you actually mean. And that is yeah. that, that children are exposed to things, to aspects of life that are predatory mm-hmm. and highly sexualized. Yes. And yeah. that we would rather that they weren't exposed to those things. Yes. We would rather Indeed. that we hadn't been exposed to those things. Yeah. And that's a lot of the work I'm doing on myself right now is like that traumatic imprinting through addiction um, throughout my family and a lot of that sexual, hypersexualized. Um, I mean, I think that it's been happening for many, I mean, who knows how long, how many generations it's gone back. Um, but now, like, having it so readily available on the screen. Um, yeah, it's, I think that, I think that like through like my own work on myself, like being able to see it in all of its, um, like even just like the way that it's projected on the screen, like it goes so deep within that, um, not to ignore it, you know, but to bring a voice to it and say, you know, like, when you see it, when it's, like, being reflected, like, why it causes, like, these deep states of, like, depression for not only adults but children as well, like, that that we need to, we need to acknowledge it, you know. I call it putting up road signs. Mm-hmm. And I find that a great many people have no signs of any kind on their road, no stop signs, no caution, curves ahead. And therefore, they run off the road fairly frequently. So you start by painting some lines on your road. And mm-hmm. you get some signage up so that when you encounter something that you know is not good for you. There's an immediate sign that says, this is not good for you. Turn around, go away. And you do. Yeah. And this is what we teach our children. Not that this is bad or that is bad or you shouldn't look at this or you shouldn't look at that. But that there are a great variety of different things that you can put into your mind some of which will be beneficial and some of which will not. Mm-hmm. There was a woman who told me that she was obsessive-compulsive. And after being with her for a while, and up close with her for several days, I said to her, you, you're not exhibiting any obsessive-compulsive behavior. Who gave you this diagnosis? And she said, I did. And I said, Based on what? She says, I think the same thought over and over again. And I said, that is the nature of thought. Mm 
thought is recursive. Thought goes around and around and around. And you can pick a thought that goes around and around and around that doesn't nourish the part of you you want nourished. Or you can pick a thought that goes around and around that nourishes the part of you you want nourished. Mm-hmm. And when and that's road signage, right? This nourishes me, this doesn't nourish me. Not good and bad. Yeah, we believe what we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. So so we can offer our children that guidance, right? When you spend time and what what I like is that um, it's not just an online world socially. It's an online world for work. Yeah. And so what you're suggesting, I think it's a very good suggestion, is that we help our children to have good work habits with electronic devices just as we encourage them to have good work habits with pencil and paper and books, right? Don't write in your books. Don't make spit wads. Don't stab the child in front of you with your pencil. What? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The same kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and really, would we want it to go away? We'd, no, we don't want the online world to go away. It gives us um, access. It gives us ease. Mm-hmm. And no, for many no. people, for many people in times of COVID, it has been the only access to education to. Um, family, to society. So uh, to me, certainly the online has proved its worth, and thank you to Zoom for being there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the everything and world that you speak of, you know, (laughs) and it is really beautiful. Everything and, right. Right. We We can use it all. We don't have to react against any of it as bad, but we are still allowed discernment to say, this is not for me. One way that I've seen that I think works is that certain things are given time frames, like If you are going to be on your device for an hour, then I would like you to read out loud for 15 minutes or to yourself for 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yes, we've been setting a timer. That's our, you know, an hour of screen time and then, (laughs) and it works out to, you know, make some compromises and (laughs) um, get things done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, it's training that inner muscle of I can 
put signs in my road. It does not have to be free for all. Mm-hmm. It's certainly one of the things that I see that many of the apprentices get when they're here is that we eat at regular times. That's mm-hmm. another sign in your road, right? Right, yeah. And that that for some of them, that is simply not something that they've done, is to eat at a regular time. And it it creates such a feeling of safety and security, interestingly enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What was mm-hmm. in good supply this year and called out for you to make a lot of it in terms of the plants? Um, so I have been working a lot with Doug Fur recently, which is the Pseudo.Suga Menzii. Think you say, <laughs> and it um, is in the pine family. And I kind of came. I choose a plant like every season to work with and go in depth with. And this is the one that um, I kind of came by accident to working with it. Um, it's a really good time of year to be working with trees right now, and I. Go and hike in this old growth dug fir forest for many years now, and I've worked with them. You know, I make medicine with them, I make it several different things with them. But um, this year, I had worked with a medicine that had brought up um, quite a bit of trauma, and my nervous system was really reacting to it, and I was um, feeling unstable in a way that I hadn't before. It was like vibrating through me in this way. Um, All of this just really like insecurity and distrust and like I was like, you know, is this ever going to end because I was feeling like just this vibration kind of of planetary energy too. I was just like really unsettled with like, you know, there's a lot of homelessness where I live and one of my closest friend runs these homeless camps and so you know you go out into the city here and it's just like it's so in your face all the time and it's like it's just really unsettling in a way um to see it all around and um I had been boiling some dug fur on the wood stove and I ran a bath and I didn't have enough hot water to finish off the bath and I was like okay well I'm going to put the the decoction as it is from the dug fur in the bath and um, it was a big pot of it and when I put it in there and I got in the bath it calmed me down so instantly I was like oh my god like I hadn't felt like that grounded like peace for like several weeks and I was like oh my this is exactly what I needed and so I started um, using all the dug for remedies that I make, um, the oil and then the oxymol, and I do a also um, 
uh, alcohol extraction that's a tincture basically with the dug fur in it. And I've just been using it every day and steaming it on the wood stove. People, if they're interested, they can you can also just boil it on your stove and just have it in your environment. And um, I've been making the tea with it as well. And um, it, it's been transformative for me. And um, just looking into it more, like, of all of the different attributes that it has of, you know, like, lung health and gut health and, um, you know, it's really high in vitamin C, as all the pines are, and uh, really uh, amazing, like, immune tonic for the sure. Oftentimes here it will be growing with Udnia attached to it, and um, that's an also an excellent remedy for right now that is in abundance here. And as it starts raining and winds are blowing here, it's just dropping Udnia and dug fir branches onto the forest floor. So it's really easy to collect because those branches tend to be really up high. You can't um, collect them unless they're like younger trees which I will collect, like, the dug fir tips, um, the bright green tips, like, in the spring and summer and um, make remedies with them as well. Uh, but, yeah, it's an amazing plant that uh, I feel like I'm totally saturated in right now, and I love to put it in the bath. It is that, like I said, it has been so... It was like a lifesaver for me, so I'm really. <laughs> that's one of the the things close. Well, to we're me. all in that bathtub with you. We're enjoying it so much. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I mean, it's so amazing. Like, I mean, I do that a lot. Like, I'll decoct plants and then I'll I'll put them into the bathtub with me, and because you know, like when they're when they're boiling on like the wood stove or on your stove you know, for several hours a whole day, then you're getting like this super concentrated liquid that you can really like take in the energy of the plant that's been growing and it's like such like the you know like an affordable way to <laughs> to take in the plant and um use it in a way that like can really get into all of all of your whole being and all those terpenes and phenols in the air it's like your own forest bathing yeah there's the dug fur has um, several monoterpenes in it that are have, you know, that are in all these plants that we love so much. Um, and yeah, it, yeah, breathing all of it in, and then it's a great way for my children too to like. It's like they're not even probably, you know, like cognizant of it, but they are, you know, like they know these. They know these plants more than they um <laughs> then they probably realize you know <laughs> you remember that i do a a monthly show for healthylife.net and in 2022 the show's going to be about trees oh excellent yeah last year at this time i was doing um i was working with ginkgo a lot and that ginkgo was very kind of enlightening to my consciousness and yeah like all of the trees but uh yeah that at this time last year I was working with ginkgo and um 
such a different vibration, like how, you know, when you go in deep with each one of these plants, these trees, like I can uh, kind of postmark my years now on like where I was with the plants at that time, you know. <laughs> yes, interesting, huh? Yeah. Often somebody says to me, well, when did that happen? And I'll say, let's see, how old was Justine then? Yeah. And I'll remember. I'll, rem, I'll know the date by how old she was because I'll remember how old she was. And I think, how do people who don't have kids how do they even keep track of time? Right, right. Yeah. You find yourself doing that too? Yeah, with my kids. Um, yeah, it's funny how quickly it seems to go by. Yeah. Mhm. A lot of it's speaking of like social media and like the internet, like now that like those uh, the memories come up, and so like I'll see, I'll see. It, that's another way that I'm like remembering things too. It seems like there's so much, yeah, going on that I like those little check-ins that 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 provides as well. Yes. Yeah. Ah, Rebecca, I'm so glad that we had an opportunity to catch up with you tonight and to hear how things have been going for you and your boys and the plants. And we've come to the end of this bit of time together. And you know what the last question is. What would you like to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's been listening to you tonight? Well, I can't believe it's the end of the show already. That's amazing. But um, I have a blessing, a solstice prayer that my friend sent me today that I would like to share. And this is what it says. We live in a world of absolute peace, tranquility, joy, and abundance. All beings have easy, effortless, ample access to whatever resources they need to thrive in a way that is in complete harmony with Mother Earth. We look upon one another as the light of source, cherishing each emanation of the one and thus feel completely safe and supported to be who we truly are in absolute freedom and creative expression. In each moment, we celebrate our divinity and form, embodying and witnessing the infinite patterns of perfection that are our divine birthright, including perfect health and wellness, creative genius, effortless collapse, collaboration and true intimacy we feel our interconnectedness so viscerally that each breath is a prayer of gratitude pulsating through our one heart for we are one and so it is and so might it be yes yes thank you so much susan it's such a blessing to be connected to you and to have found you in this lifetime. I am feel so blessed. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for helping me. And thank you, Sarah Ellen. Thank you for helping me. And thank you, all the rest of you, for helping me restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Green blessings, joyous solstice, Merry Christmas, have a great time with your families. I'll see you again in 2022. Green blessings, Susan. Good night, everybody.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.